0: This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org.
1: Our text this morning is going to be from 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice While doing good.
0: Amen. Thank you, Janelle. Welcome this morning. Worship team, thank you for leading us into praise and worship. And welcome all those who are watching online. Come be with us next week if you can. So Peter will give a final word on prayer, or on suffering in chapter 5. But this text today I think could be seen as the culmination of Of what he began in chapter one, where he spoke about God taking us through various trials to refine us, to make us more like Jesus for God's glory. So let's look at this passage today under three main points. Don't be surprised, but rejoice. Don't be ashamed, but give glory. And don't stop trusting, but do good. So, first, don't be surprised, but rejoice. You know, it's interesting, the same man, Peter, who once rebuked Jesus for talking about going to the cross, talking about suffering, and dying, <laughs> is now encouraging followers of Jesus to stay in the fires of persecution and not to be surprised by the fires of, of persecution. He told us in chapter 1 that our faith, which is more precious than gold, is tested by fire, by suffering. Here he repeats that theme that not only should we not run from our faith when the heat's turned up, but we shouldn't even be surprised by the opposition we face. Now, why would Peter say that? Do not be surprised when you are suffering for Jesus. I think there are a couple of reasons. I think number one is, is sometimes the first step, surprised, is the first step toward being angry about suffering, right? Which can lead us to being resentful about suffering which can lead us to unbelief. So what should we do then, Lord, when fiery trials come upon us? Well, Peter tells us, rejoice. What? Why should we rejoice? Now, m- remember, we never rejoice because of the pain we're feeling. Oh, thank you, Lord, for this pain. It feels so good. It doesn't. We rejoice in the trials, not because of, uh, of you know, the pain. We rejoice in what God is doing in that moment. So, two reasons we can rejoice. Number one, we rejoice in them, Peter says, because in them we share Christ's suffering. That's hard for us to understand, and I don't think we really can understand it fully. But when we're going through trials because of our faith, then we we are sharing the suffering that Christ suffered. Paul talked about that. Remember in Philippians 3 where Paul's talking about how before he was a Christian, before he met Christ... He was the best Pharisee there was, right? I mean, he said, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, I was blameless. And he talks about all the stuff he was before Christ. He compares it to what? You remember? He Compares it to dung. He compares it to rubbish. All that was rubbish, right? And then compared to after he met Christ. He says, all that matters now... Paul says, was the righteousness of God in Christ. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Remember we talked about the sufferings of Christ um, causes sin to cease, right? When Jesus suffered in his death on the cross, he put an end to our sin doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore, but the effect of sin, the penalty for sin has been removed. The suffering took it away. And, P, and Paul is saying here, I want to share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that I may die also to my sin. And Peter says at the end, as we, as we share Christ's suffering, he says that you may also rejoice and be glad. The second reason that we rejoice is because we share Christ's suffering and also you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. We, we suffer with Christ. Listen says We suffer with Christ because we will also be raised with Christ. Paul finished Philippians 3.10, that verse with this. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And Paul didn't say that because he's hoping he's going to be raised from the dead. No, he's, this is a statement of trust in the final glory that we will live forever when our Savior returns. So don't be surprised because you are a Christian and you're suffering. The two go hand in hand. We see that in Scripture clearly. You know, Irish missionary Amy Carmichael understood that when she opened an orphanage in southern India. And this was in late 1800s and early 1900s. And she opened an orphanage to rescue abandoned children who were in the lower caste. Right? The caste system in India. In any the lower caste or what? The untouchables. And she wanted to rescue these children. And many of whom were young girls who she took from prostitution in the Hindu temples. They were being forced as young girls to be prostitutes in the Hindu temples. And she rescued them from that. She suffered greatly in her health. She was there for 55 years without a furlough. Never came home once. But what was most surprising, perhaps, when I read this, was the disrespect some missionaries in India. She suffered disrespect from the other missionaries because they believed that the people back home didn't want to hear about these girls who had been prostitutes in, in a temple. And they, they persecuted Amy Carmichael for this. She suffered greatly, and she once wrote a poem entitled, No Scars. I encourage you to look up the whole poem. Here's part of it. She says, hast thou no wound, no wound, no scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wounds, nor scar? Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. You know, Vance Havner said one time at the Nicene Council, we've talked about that, haven't we? It was an important church meeting in the 4th century AD, the Nicene Council, where the Nicene Creed was developed pri- primarily to do away with some of the heresies about Jesus being raised in, in spirit but not in body, etc. But in that council, there were 318 delegates, and fewer than 12 of that 318 had not lost an eye or a hand or a limp on a leg lamed by sur- torture. For their Christian faith. Do not be surprised, Peter says, when you suffer fiery trials. Peter says, if we are insulted for the name of Christ, we're blessed. In this text, he says, we're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, that's not my book, but it is an old book. It's one story after another. If you want to read about Christian persecution, one story after another about people who died, didn't just suffer, but they were martyrs. For the cause of Christ. One story is about a pastor in London in 1555 who was burned at the stake for his faith. And Fox wrote, When he came near the place, the officer appointed to see the execution done, said to Mr. Saunders that he was one of them who marred the queen's realm. But if he would recant, there was pardon for him. Not I, replied the holy martyr, but such as you injured the realm. The blessed gospel of Christ is what I hold. That do I believe. That I have taught, and that will I never revoke. And then Fox writes that Mr. Saunders slowly moved towards the fire, sank to the earth, and prayed. He then rose up, embraced the stake, and frequently said, Welcome, thou cross of Christ. Welcome, everlasting life, as the flames consumed him. He shared in Christ's suffering. You know, Peter. Includes a qualifier in here in verse 15 that we really ought to mention that's worth noting, right? Make sure, he says, you're not suffering because of your sins. We're not talking about suffering because of sins. And then, isn't it interesting, he says he includes the sin of being a meddler. Along with murderer and thief and evildoer. Meddler? What's that doing in there, Peter? Peter? And a lot of people think that he put that in there because most of us can't relate to being a murderer and a thief and an evildoer. But we can all relate to being a meddler, right? Some of us, is like a job, you know, right? A meddler is someone who meddles in other people's affairs. And I thought about that verse in 2 Thessalonians 3.11 where Paul said, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Someone who's a busybody, they have so much time on their hands that they're not managing anything. So they try to manage you. They're going to try to in, in, in meddle in your affairs to tell you how you ought to live your life. And, and, Paul, and Peter is saying here, look, if you're, if you're suffering because you're a busybody, you earned that. <laughs> Wear it proudly because there's no glory in that. You're not honored by Christ in that. There's no fruit from that. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about suffering for the cause of Christ. Then Peter says, don't be ashamed, but give glory. Give glory. Edmund Clowney tells the story of Armando Valadares. He was a political prisoner. Listen to this. He was a political prisoner for 22 years in the Fidel Castro regime. You know why he was imprisoned? He was a businessman in Cuba. Because he would not put a sign on his desk in 1960 that said, I'm with Fidel. And for that reason alone, he was taken to prison. He was brutally tortured in prison. He was starved. He was beaten. He was threatened with death and subjected to solitary confinement. What kept him alive, he said, was his faith. And his weapon was his poetry. He wrote poetry. And he wrote it with his own blood. After they tortured him, he'd come back and take the blood that was oozing from his pores, and he would write poetry on the walls of his cell. He wrote that the cries of the people before they were executed in prison, long live Christ the King, down with communism, wakened his faith and gave him courage. And the prisoners didn't like those cries. Long live Christ the King, down with communism? He said the cries became such a potent and stirring symbol that by 1963 the men who were condemned to death were gagged before being carried down to be shot. The jailers feared those shouts. I would say those brothers were not ashamed, but instead they used their dying breath to proclaim the glory of Christ. Now listen, saints, what Peter's doing for us today is he's instructing us to use our living breaths to proclaim the glory of Christ. Do not be ashamed, but proclaim Jesus even if it causes persecution. He says, let him glorify God in that name. What name? Verse 14, we saw that when Christ was insulted, uh, the name of Christ for which we are insulted, he said in verse 14, so what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus, we sung this morning. So Peter gives us further motivation to To have hope in the midst of trials, for he says, for it is time for judgment. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. This was 2,000 years ago. (laughs) Peter said, the time of judgment has come for the household of God. That's the church. That's the believers. It begins with us. What will be the outcome if it begins with us? What will be the outcome of those who are not in the household of God, those who are outside the faith? Peter may have been thinking about Malachi 3 when the prophet said, But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So Peter is saying it's time for judgment to begin in the house of the Lord because judgment is coming on those who are not in the house of the Lord. Now listen, we need to understand here That the judgment of God on the church is not punishment, but purging. It comes from God to refine His people. As as gold is refined by fire. The purging, the punishment that God brings to His church purges. It it separates the wheat from the chaff. Remember that story I probably told you before, but during... During the time when it was illegal in the Soviet Union for you to have a church and to worship God, because of communism there, you were not allowed to worship God. There were many churches that met in secret. And one time, the uh, the, the door opened and in came a Roman, I mean a Russian uh, soldier with his gun and everything else. And and the people were terrified. And he said, "All of you who don't believe in Jesus, you can leave now." And two or three people walked out. Then he took off his gun. He picked out a Bible, pulled out a Bible from his coat. He said, I just want to get rid of the, the, the chaff. I want to worship with the wheat. I believe in Jesus too, my brothers. Purging separates the wheat from the chaff. It prunes the dead, the wasteful branches, and leaves the living to grow more fruitful. That's what, that's what judgment on the house of God is. He's pruning us. He's purging us. He's refining us. He's making us more like Jesus. And we've seen that. The, the, the churches that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ beam like, like Venus. They're, they're, they're brighter than, than the sun compared to the churches that have, have jettisoned the Bible, that have jettisoned the doctrines of the faith, that are simply going along to get along, and they have a social club, not a body of Christ. But if that's true in the, the judgment of the church... The judgment on those who do not obey the gospel of God will be swift and sure, and none will be able to hide from his wrath against sin in that day. We tell others the truth about God's amazing grace and about God's terrible judgment on those who insist on saving themselves because we want them to come to the knowledge of the truth. Even if it means suffering for ourselves, even if it means we're persecuted for Christ, we still tell the truth about Jesus in the open square, in the marketplace. Amen? We do that because we want them to come to know Jesus, but we do that because we want to remind ourselves that He is our only hope. We don't ever want to take for granted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and become those who are ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation both to the Greek and to the Jew, Romans 1.16. And then finally he says, don't stop trusting and do good. Don't stop trusting and do good. Verse 19 starts with that important word, therefore, because of this truth about our suffering, God's purging, and the imminent return of Christ Jesus our Lord, Peter says, let's remember, let's do these three things. I think you could see this last verse in this, la- in this chapter as a summary statement of suffering well. This is a summary statement. You want to suffer well as a follower of Jesus Christ? Here's what we need to know about suffering. First, we suffer according to God's will. (coughs) We suffer according to God's will. As I told the children this morning, you go through hard things because it's your parents' will for you, but more importantly, you're going to go through hard things and learn to do hard things because it's God's will for you. We go through suffering because it's God's will for us. God chooses our suffering, just as he chooses our gifts, right? You don't go through a buffet line and say, I'll take this gift, and I'll take this gift, and I'll take that suffering. That doesn't look too bad there, right? That suffering is not too bad. I'm not going to take that suffering. We don't get to choose, right? It's God's will. It's his divine plan to send the heat of persecution to his beloved children for our good and for his glory. On the wall in his bedroom, Charles Spurgeon had a plaque with Isaiah forty eight, ten written on it. It says, Behold, I have refined you, but not with silver. I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. And Spurgeon wrote, It is no mean and that means poor in quality, it is no mean thing to be chosen of God. God's choice makes chosen men choice men. We are chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. I love this. In the furnace, beauty is marred, fashion is destroyed, strength is melted, glory is consumed. Yet here, eternal love reveals its secrets and declares its choice. We are chosen by God, and part of that choosing is to go through suffering. And remember, the suffering that Peter is primarily talking about here is not physical suffering. We will suffer because we live in a broken world. And we will get diseases and we will die. And that's suffering. I'm not minimizing that. Please don't hear me say that that's not suffering. It is. But the suffering he's primarily talking about here is suffering because we are not ashamed of the cross. Suffering because we live for Jesus. Suffering because we will not minimize the power of the gospel in any way in our lives. And that brings Refinement and suffering to us. Second is he says we are called to entrust our souls to a faithful creator. It's interesting. I didn't know this till this week. This is only one of two verses in the New Testament where God is called by the name creator. You know where the other one was? In Romans 1. Right? And in Romans 1, Paul is accusing those who reject the creator and instead worship And serve the creature or the creation. And that's why God gives them over and gives them over and gives them over. Until finally there's a reprobate mind there if they do not return to God. And here Peter's using creator in this verse to remind us. If I can quote from Clowney. To remind us that the Lord whom we trust is the architect of all things. Accomplishing his great design. He feeds the birds and numbers the hairs of our heads. He will watch over us who commit ourselves to His care. Remember in chapter 2 where it says Jesus entrusted Himself. This is uh, 1 Peter 2, 23. Jesus continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. How did Jesus go through suffering? He continued entrusting Himself to the Father, and that's what God's calling us to do as well. We can do it. Because the Spirit enables us to do it by grace. And third, we are commanded to continue doing good. While we suffer, we don't stop doing good. We say, I'm suffering now. I, you know, I'm, putting, I'm putting good stuff on the, on the shelf for a while because I'm suffering. No, that's, that's when the gold is being refined and it shines the brightest. And, and God perhaps can use you in ways that you can't even imagine. While we suffer, we continue doing good for the sake of the gospel. William Sangster, I'm telling a lot of stories today, but I wanted, the, the text today it seems repetitive because we've already talked about suffering, but there's much, so much more gold here. William Sangster was a pastor, <clears throat> pastor in England who lived 60 years, and he died after two years of suffering from muscular atrophy, progressive muscular atrophy. But he ended one of his sermons about Jacob wrestling with the angel. Remember that? We talked about that in Genesis. And, and and ended up with a lifelong limp. God put his hip out of joint and Jacob limped for the rest of his life. It was a reminder that, hey, God's in control. I'm his and he will do with me as he pleases. It was a reminder that he had to com- continually trust God. No matter his, his weaknesses, no matter his infirmities, no matter the suffering... He trusts God and he's used by God. And then he ended up that sermon with a story. He said, I I was asked to go to the eye hospital in Liverpool and tell a girl that within three months she would go blind. I went at once and talked with her on trivial matters, not knowing how to broach the subject. See, she suspected it and said, I think God's going to take my sight. I replied, I wouldn't let him. Will you see if you can offer this prayer, not now, but in three months' time? Father, if for any reason known to you I must lose my sight, I will not have it taken from me. I will give it to you. He said, it was a stormy, stormy three months. I visited her often, and she kept saying, I can't pray that prayer. I can't live without a little light. But at last, she did say it to God. And he says, and now, ask anyone who knows the sisters in Mercy Side, if they know Jessie Johnson. She comes with her dog and speaks to the women out of her rich experience. God has taught her things he's only whispered to me. Out of the darkness, she speaks. See, she suffered, and she submitted herself to God for that suffering. At the moment, you know, the Cory Ten Boom story. Father, what if we have to go through, you know, get it, the Nazi persecution? What if we end up in a concentration camp? What if we're taken? What if we're killed? And the father, his father said so wisely to Cory, Cory, when did I give you the ticket to get on this train? She said, right before we got on the train. She said, that's when God will give you the strength. That's when God will give you the grace. That's when God will take you through Whatever trial he has chosen for you, don't worry about the future. Live in that now, in trust that God is with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And Corey Ten Boom did. And she lived an incredible life of trusting the Lord. Saints, what have we learned? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. It's God's plan. Don't be ashamed When the fiery trial comes upon you, that's the way of the world. Don't stop trusting. That's the way of the weak. God will use the suffering he's chosen for us, for our good, and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we... In this world today, so far removed from the world that Peter lived in, are still so needy that we cannot live, we cannot stand, we cannot survive except by hope in you, trust in you, commitment to walking out each day according to your purposes and plans for our lives. Thank you that you have chosen by your will to make us like Christ, and even though there will be hard times and fiery flames and persecution and difficulties, Lord, we know that because of that, we will share in your suffering. And because of that, we look forward to the day when we will be glorified with you. Lord, keep us walking in that hope. Keep us trusting in you and trusting our souls to the one who knows us and judges justly not to give up and not to, to go the way of the world or the worldly Christian, but to live the life that Christ has chosen for us only by your power, through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and is sanctifying us. And we commit our lives to you again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <music> Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.